Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rob Scheinberg, Rabbi of United Synagogue of Hoboken, New Jersey. Today we're studying Psachim, page 31a and b, Daf Lamed Aleph, Amud Aleph, and Bet. And we'll talk today about loans and mortgages, and dogs and collapsed buildings, and how all these have implications on the way one fulfills the law to abstain from chametz on Pesach, and under some circumstances to abstain from chametz or certain chametz after Pesach as well. Now, at the outset, let me admit, I had a little trouble visualizing the situation that's discussed on the majority of this page. So I changed the scenario just a little bit in this description. So start out by picturing a life-size gingerbread house, like in Hansel and Gretel. Note that in actuality, there's no reference to a gingerbread house on this page, or to my knowledge anywhere in the Talmud, but this is the image that helped me to understand this page. So this gingerbread house is expensive enough that the Jew who owns it had to take out a mortgage on it. The Jew entered into an arrangement with the bank where the Jew would borrow the value of the house and then make regular payments to the bank. But if the Jew is in difficult financial straits and can't keep up with these payments, then the bank can foreclose on the house and can seize it, so now it would belong to the bank. And sadly, that's what happens to the poor Jew in this story, who can't pay back the money that he's borrowed, and this beautiful gingerbread house is foreclosed immediately after Pesach. So here's the question of the Mishnah at the bottom of page uh, 30b, Lamed Amud Bet, the question that will occupy us for almost all of Daf Lamed Aleph, page 31a and b. A gingerbread house is, of course, made of chametz. So, does this gingerbread house have the status of chametz she'avar alav ha-pesach? Considering that it's forbidden to derive benefit from chametz that is owned by a Jew during Pesach as a disincentive for Jews to violate the laws of Pesach, do we say that this gingerbread house was owned by the Jewish owner, in which case it would qualify as chametz shavar lava pesach, chametz owned by a Jew during Pesach, and it would be forbidden for benefit after Pesach. Or do we say that since this gingerbread house had a mortgage on it, it was really owned by the bank, and in fact, and in fact the bank was getting ready to repossess it. And uh, let's assume that it's a private bank that's owned by one non-Jewish individual. So you could say that effectively it was owned by the bank all along, and thus it does not constitute Hamed Shavar Lava Pesach, because during Pesach itself it wasn't really owned by the Jew. It was owned by this, this non-Jewish individual who owns the bank. Now, as I noted, the only thing I changed in this scenario is the Mishnah is not actually talking about a gingerbread house. It's talking more generally about someone taking out a loan and using chametz to secure the loan. That was just hard for me to picture. Not that someone living in a gingerbread house was easy for me to picture, but at least it would translate the situation in the Mishnah to a kind of loan and collateral system with which we may be more familiar. But the Mishnah concludes, in this scenario, the chametz is not considered to be chametz she'avar alav ha'pesach. 
So it's as if the chametz belonged to the non-Jew, or what I've been calling, quote-unquote, the bank, all along. Then the Mishnah reverses the situation. Now it's a non-Jew who has this gingerbread house, but he has mortgaged it to a Jew who has lent him money. And now it's the non-Jew who's in financial straits, can't pay back the loan. So now the Jew has foreclosed on this gingerbread house right after Pesach. And the Mishnah says, now this is an example of Chametz Shavar Alava Pesach. It's as if this Chametz belonged to the Jew all along. And for the next page and a half, the Talmud try to, tries to figure out why this is so. And actually, the bottom line conclusion is that such a scenario can happen only when the person in debt has actually delivered the chametz that is being used to secure the loan to the home of the creditor before Pesach. So that that chametz spends Pesach in the home of the creditor, even though you could argue that it doesn't technically belong to the creditor yet until the debtor has actually defaulted on the loan, which happens after Pesach. But its status is determined by the status of the creditor. If the creditor is non-Jewish, then the chametz is not considered to be chametz shavar alaf Pesach. If the creditor is Jewish, even if the borrower is not Jewish, then the chametz is considered to be chametz shavar alaf Pesach. So, yes, this does make the gingerbread house scenario break down a little, because the Gemara's conclusion is that this situation can happen only when the loan is being secured with movable property and not with real estate. If you want, I guess you could picture the borrower dismantling this gingerbread house and delivering the gingerbread building materials to, to the creditor's home right before Pesach, and then the loan is foreclosed right after Pesach. Well, let's move on to a second topic. Let's look at a brief sugya, discussion of the next Mishnah, which is at the bottom of Amud Bet, uh, page 31b. Now, if you have visited Israel, or for that matter, any other country where there's been continuous settlement for thousands of years, you are likely familiar with the concept of a tell, what looks like a hill, but is actually a heap made of the rubble of the destruction of previous buildings and even previous civilizations going back for hundreds or even thousands of years. These days, if a building gets demolished, one would be likely to clear out the rubble of the destroyed building before building a new building on that site. But in the ancient world, without excavation equipment, one would be likely to simply build on top of the rubble and anything in the rubble would essentially be lost forever. Or at least, it would be lost until the late 19th and 20th and 21st centuries, when the archaeologists would arrive on the scene to explore the tell, and thereby travel back in time to explore previous civilizations and teach us about them. There are other places in the Talmud where we're told that when a building collapses, and there's the possibility that there are people who are still alive under the rubble, one has the responsibility to excavate to find them. In fact, this is the original literal meaning of the expression pikuach nefesh, the term that's used in rabbinic literature to refer to the responsibility to save a human life. But literally it means to excavate and thereby to save a human life in case a building collapses and there's a possibility that there are human beings that are trapped under the rubble. And when we get to the tractate of Yoma, there will be more extended discussions of that. But our Mishnah is telling us about collapsed buildings that thankfully do not cover human beings, but do cover chametz. The Mishnah tells us, Chametz that has been buried by an earthquake or collapsed building is considered as if it had been burnt. Or in other words, 
if you have the misfortune of having a building collapse right before Pesach, at least you don't have the additional burden of having to search for and destroy the chametz in the rubble. The chametz is considered to be null and void as if it had been destroyed by simply being in the rubble. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Amer, kol she'ein ha'kelev yachol lechapes acharav. Rabban Gamliel says, this is so long as it's buried enough that a dog would not be able to search for it and find it. Then the Gemara says, Amar Avchista v'tzarich sh'yevatel v'libo. Avchista says, the owner needs to make some kind of statement or meditation of nullification. Essentially the same as the statement that observant Jews make these days on the morning before Pesach that says something like, let all leaven in my possession, whether I've seen it or not seen it, whether I've destroyed it or not destroyed it, let it be considered nullified and void and ownerless like the dust of the earth. According to Rav Chista, making such a statement is necessary in the case of chametz that is covered by the rubble. Not surprisingly, the Gemara will now try to quantify how buried the chametz needs to be, such that we're not worried that a dog will find it. Tana kama chapishat ha-kelev, How far does a dog search? Three tefachim, three hand breaths. A tefach is a few inches. Three tefachim, then, we could estimate somewhere between half a foot and a foot. And what follows is a qualification that if one is hiding money in the ground, one only needs to hide it one tefach deep. But dogs searching for food will be able to smell the food and thus would dig deeper. So to three tefachim. So the rubble nullifies your chametz if the rubble is three tefachim deep. Now what do we make of both of these scenarios? The scenario about chametz being used to secure a loan, and the scenario about the building collapse that happens before Pesach that buries one's chametz. First, we note that just because a scenario is discussed in the Talmud does not mean that it is a realistic scenario. If you've been following Dafyomi for some time, you probably know this already. The Talmud seems to delight in imaginative and far-fetched scenarios. The more complicated, the better, to better help us to clarify the principles that underlie the laws. However, the scenarios include details that are drawn from everyday life, homes, mortgages, loans and also including tragic realities like foreclosures and building collapses. Second, we see an underlying desire for compassion and fairness. And one example is that someone who experiences the misfortune of having a building collapse should not have his or her misfortune compounded by also needing to conduct a dangerous search for chametz in the rubble. So this page is yet another reminder that the Talmud is an unusual religious guidebook in that it suggests that you don't need to leave behind the mundane realities of this world in order to live a holy existence. We make God's presence manifest in the world when we use the full power of our intellect to strive to create a just and fair society and to live according to God's wishes. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.